Uh, we're, uh, we're thinking together today a little bit about uh, how the Christian faith, how the gospel helps us understand mental illness. That's what I thought we could talk about today. Um, you know, I get these sort of one-off kind of moments uh, when I come out here to Living Word and I thought we could uh, think about this together. Partly, um, I, I'm married uh, to Adele. We've been married for almost 17 years uh, and um, my wife Adele is uh, a practicing, she's a consultant psychiatrist um, and she happens to work just over the road actually at the uh, Community Mental Health Centre con- you know, connected to um, Modbury Hospital. So she's an old age psychiatrist. And uh, so I'm living and breathing this kind of stuff day in, day out in some ways. Um, and also just my, my, my own personal experience, I've, I've endured or I guess I've suffered from mental illness, uh, depression, anxiety, particularly an acute episode last year. And I've got to be honest with you, like I, I stand before you today um, as a man who probably in the last month or so has been really wrestling with some, some really flat moments in life, um, some probably, maybe you could call it depression, um, I haven't gone back to my GP yet. She's been away, but I'm going to catch up with her next week just to sort of touch base. But uh, in some ways, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys this morning. Um, I need the hope of the good news of Jesus as much as any of us today. And uh, so I hope this is of, of value to us, not just today, um, but uh, perhaps as we seek to love the people around us and uh, understand our own bodies, which are all impacted by the fall and sin in various kinds of ways. So I do pray, I'm going to pray now that God would use this uh, to help us make Christ known and encourage us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your good word. We pray pray now that as we think about your word, that you would speak to us through it. So Father, we pray that as we open your word now, that we pray, Father, that by your spirit we would see Jesus. We pray, Father, that by your spirit we would hear Jesus. Father, by your spirit, through your word, we would love Jesus. Father, remind us that you have us in the palm of your hand and you will never let those you've redeemed go. So, Father, please speak to us, encourage us, assure us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name. Amen. On the screen is a picture of a couple of people Um, I don't know if you recognise these guys. This is Rick and Kay Warren. Uh, They're from the US. They planted a church in California uh, many years ago, back in 1980. That church grew to 20,000 people. Um, You might have read, who's read The Purpose Driven Life? Yeah, that's written by kind of these guys. came out of that, sold 30 million copies, as far as I can tell. In many ways, right, you you look at these guys and, and you hear those things and you go, wow, success, right? That's a success story. But there's another story that is sort of behind the Warren family. Uh, April 2013, their son Matthew took his own life. Uh, Deeply sad. Um, Kay Warren says that, um, she remembers that when he was just seven years old, their son Matthew, they remember him saying, I just feel really sad. Really sad. And they took him to see many doctors. He received various diagnoses. Kay Warren says that, that for years, quote, she says, her family felt like they were living on the edge of hell. Here's another person. This is Charles Spurgeon. Who knows Charles? Maybe not personally, but, you know, at least through his 
I don't think anyone's old enough to have heard him, but you know. Um, but Charles Spurgeon, um, he, you know, for many of us, right, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, um, very well-known communicator of God's word. Um, he's also known for his deep struggle with mental illness, depression and anxiety. Um, at just the age of 19, he sort of took charge of a Baptist church in London, the biggest Baptist church in London. At 22, he became like the most successful, prominent, well-known preacher throughout the UK. Um, they had to purchase a place called the Crystal Palace in London because so many people wanted to hear him preaching. Uh, so apparently in Crystal Palace, there were like 10,000 people inside the church and about the same outside the church, just desperate to hear what he had to say. But there was one day when he was preaching and from the balcony up the back, there was this yell, fire, the balcony's collapsing. Neither were quite true, but, but Spurgeon got up, he tried to, to calm things down. He prayed, but actually there was a huge crush. Seven people died, 28 people were hospitalised and injured. When Spurgeon heard the news of this disaster in the church, um, he went into a deep depression. Here's what he said. When, like a whirlwind, the destruction was overpassed, when the whole of its devastation was visible to my eye, who can conceive the anguish of my sad spirit? I refused to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day and dreams my terror by night. I felt as I had never felt before. Uh, they put him on what we would call today suicide watch. Uh, Spurgeon again. Somebody watched me for they did not know what might happen to me. Charles Spurgeon's wife, Susanna, thought he might never recover from this moment. And Spurgeon would later share that each time he'd preach to a large crowd, he'd have flashbacks of that experience. I guess you'd call that sort of PTSD. He said, and I quote, I am the subject of the depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Now, those stories are a little bit removed from us, right? Rick and Kay Warren in California, Charles Spurgeon from many years ago, other side of the world, another time in history, different generations. But we all have stories, don't we? We all know someone we love, a family friend, a member of our family who's been hospitalised with some kind of mental illness. Um, my grandfather um, had deep depression and bipolar and I only found out about the impact of his illness on my family you know after he had died but it was extraordinary um, it's hard it's difficult but we're all impacted three questions I just want to answer this morning as we gather around God's word today three things here's the here they are three things what do we mean by mental health issues um, why are they so prevalent and what does the Christian faith kind of offer to those in the midst of mental illness? There are three things. What do we mean? Why are they so prevalent? What does the gospel offer? That's what I want to do. So firstly, what do we mean by mental health issues? Um, not every negative experience that we have means we might have a mental health issue. Um, one of the expectations of like living in the 21st century at the moment is that it's like we always have to be, we have to be happy all the time, right? That's this expectation. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. 
that we have to be happy all the time. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, what we watch on Netflix or our social media fields, where feeds, we're just exhorted to be happy all the time. At least, you know, present that kind of image to the world. I'm happy, I've got it all together, look at how fancy and fun things are. So much of life is rich and good, right? You would agree? So much of life is rich and good. But at the same time, there is difficult stuff. And when those hard things happen, when we experience loss, we are actually meant to feel sad. I, mean, I think it's ridiculous that I even have to say that, right? When we experience loss and things don't go very well, we are meant to feel sad. If Richmond didn't win the grand final yesterday, I would probably be even more sad than I am right now. You know, like that is just... To grieve is actually helpful, right? And it helps us work out a way forward. It's important. And to feel sometimes sad doesn't always mean we are depressed. And I think that's why it's good to have this kind of mental health kind of continuum. Um, you know, so you've got down one end, poor mental health, and then sort of good mental health. It's a continuum. So poor mental health, down the sort of the left-hand side, whichever side you're on, um, is where people experience changes in the way they think, how they feel, how they behave, and it continues over time, causing significant distress to the person, which then leads to kind of impairment in function and things like that. You, and, and it really impacts life. And the other end, obviously, is when, you know, like things are going pretty well. And I think we human beings, right, we are designed for three things. Three things that are really important for us. We want something to do, I think they're coming up, we want something to do, we want meaningful work, we want people we love, so good relationships, we want something to look forward to as well, so hope for the future. So we want something to do that's really important, you know, we have meaningful work, contribute to the world, we want people to love, we want good relationships, and we also want something to look forward to, something we hope to, you know, be engaged in the future. And the thing is, right, down this poor mental health end of the spectrum, all those things are impaired or impacted. Does that make sense? Okay, so with all that in mind, what are some of the kind of key mental health problems that we face in the world today? You might have heard some of these terms. I'll run through them really briefly. Um, clinical anxiety disorder. You might have heard of that one, right? So that's where the smoke detector in your brain, if you can imagine that, um, kind of goes off, right? Over the top, even when sort of sometimes danger is low. It's just there's a bit of a mismatch. Um, depression, um, they're the negative feelings about yourself, negative feelings about the future, loss of interest in the normal things that kind of bring you joy. Um, bipolar disorder, they are the extreme swings of mood, um, the high highs, the really severe lows. Um, psychosis is another one you might have heard of, and in that category is like one form of psychosis is schizophrenia, um, so where people kind of tend to lose touch with reality. Um, substance abuse, um, that falls into the bracket of mental health disorders, so alcohol, um, illicit drugs, the poor use of prescription medications, and then you know, eating disorders, um, anorexia, bulimia, and things like that. Um, they are, these are all really very common, right? So one in five people in Australia will experience a significant, significant mental illness in their life, right? So I don't know how many people are in the room right, right now, maybe... 40 of us or thereabouts, you know, that's, there's a fair few, eight of us, right, in this room, probably someone in every kind of row of chairs. 
Um, one in two people in Australia across their lifetime will experience some kind of ongoing mental health issue. Uh, issue. Most common, um, anxiety, 14%, depression, 6%, substance abuse, 5%. And tragically, every day, eight people in Australia complete suicide. It's tragic. Now, I can talk to you about symptoms, I can talk to you about statistics, but the lived experience is hard, it is difficult, and again, we know people who suffer from this stuff. I've said there's a continuum, but I think there are a few things worse in life than serious mental illness. Here's Charles Spurgeon again. He says, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. One of the most interesting things is that we Christian people, I reckon, like that's, that's, that's awful, right? But I think one of the things that we Christian people can do is we can kind of lay another burden on top of what are already often crushing kind of mental health issues, right? So you think about it, right? Someone in church has an anxiety disorder and and they open the Bible and they come to like Philippians chapter 4, right? And the Bible says, and Jesus says, do not worry. And you say, man, I worry all the time. And you're now adding the guilt and shame of more like worry on top of that. I'm feeling more anxious. Well, let's say you're depressed, right? And you flip open Philippians chapter 4 and read the Apostle Paul's exhortation to rejoice always, be joyful in all circumstances, but for you, joy is like a distant memory. And you feel guilt and shame and you just sort of feel worse. Not only is there like personal stuff going on here in, our, in the head and the heart, what about those people who out there who think and say and do things in relation to mental illness that just kind of make people feel worse and just add to the stigma? Some time ago, I did a mental health first aid course. Anyone done a mental health first aid course? Really worth doing. They're really great. Um, the person at the mental health first aid course said to me, I want you to think about all the derogatory terms people use for mental health you can think of. What are some of the derogatory terms you've heard? For people with mental nutter, anything else? Crazy, Crazy. <laughs> schizo, yeah, weird, weird. mental, loony. loony, beautiful. You're ticking all the ones off on my list, yeah. <laughs> Mad, wacko, you know, and people listing them off, right? And then the person said, "Now think of all the derogatory terms you use for people with cancer, or people with heart disease, and like there's nothing." In 1995, there was a survey um, asking people what they think causes depression in people. 50% of people said weakness of character. They repeat, that was 1995, right? They repeated the survey, 2011. Um, you'll be pleased to know the numbers dropped by 10%. 40% of people still think that depression is because of weakness of character. Additionally, some people think that mental health, people with mental illnesses are dangerous, right? Truth is, right? Truth is, people with mental illness, it is very, 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 very rare for them to be dangerous to us, to other people. The truth is, right, people with mental illnesses are most likely to be dangerous to themselves 
more than they are to people out there beyond us and including. And sadly, I think the stigma, like what I've been talking about, kind of exists even in our churches. You know, story this week, right? Someone just said, you know, your depression, your anxiety, it's connected to sin. Just repent of your sin and the depression will go away. Happens all the time. Unfortunately, churches have a reputation for shooting their wounded. In an article, um, a woman named Alicia Cohn writes of her experience of depression and church. Unfortunately, she writes, many of us who have spoken up in church communities have been told to pray harder or have more faith. These suggestions might be well-intentioned, but they often discourage and isolate those of us in desperate need of support. And uh, in a great book, um, I haven't got a picture of it or anything like that, but in a great book, um, it's called Spurgeon's Sorrows by a guy named Zach Aswine. Really good book if you want to sort of delve into not just Spurgeon's kind of life and in, in his wrestle with depression and anxiety, but um, sort of gaining a really good, healthy Christian perspective. Grab that, Spurgeon's Sorrows. Zach Aswine, he writes, In the eyes of many people, including Christian people, depression signifies cowardice, faithlessness or a bad attitude. Such people tell God in prayer and their friends in person that the sufferer of depression is soft or unspiritual. Such comments, I think, demonstrate a faltering love for our neighbour, a widening crack in the foundations of Christian empathy. As Christ followers, right, we, we gladly leap into the mission field, we, we gladly cook meals for the destitute, we embrace the grieving, but when depression strikes, misconceptions can deteriorate our spirit of compassion. At best, we practice silence and avoidance. At worst, we blame the sufferer and disregard the depressed you know, as being too lax in their faith or you know, pull yourself up out of the depths. And when we consider that the rate of suicide among the depressed is 27 times the rate of the general population, such thinking is just terrible. Sufferers of depression can't control their descent into darkness, nor can they just kind of hoik themselves out of the clutches of it as well, with sort of sheer will and strength. So that's kind of a bit of background on what are mental illnesses and, and where have we got to today? What does it impact on the church? Secondly then, why are these mental health issues so prevalent? And this is where I reckon our Christian worldview really helps us here. I think it's the key, I would say. So, you know, if you, you open your Bible, you know, and you come to the beginning and you hear about creation and God makes the world and he makes us in his image and then he makes everything, right? And everything's good, 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 good and very good. And you go, wow, like this is great. Um, I think I've said this to you before, like, you know, if you open the Bible, right, and you flick open to Genesis chapter 1, that's, that's where it's all good, right? That bit. And then you turn the page and it goes, whoop, you know, falls apart. The fall comes in, right? We, human beings, we turn our back on a good and gracious and loving God. Sin comes into the world. We turn our back on him and everything goes pretty much pear-shaped. Everything starts to unravel. Rebellion in the face of God's loving rule. And that has consequences, right? And we heard about that in Romans chapter 8. The creation, rather than being good and flourishing and us in perfect relationship with our maker and one another and the creation... Everything's undone. The creation is subject to frustration. Creation, Romans chapter 8, is groaning 
There's a logic to our brokenness. There is stuff in this world that is difficult. So Job chapter 5, verse 7. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. It's true, isn't it? So true. This is part of God's kindness to us, part of the logic of a suffering world. You know, it can kind of wake us up to the reality around us. Things aren't right. The world in which we live in shouldn't be like this. There was, it's something better. We, we have a difficult relationship with the world around us. We have a difficult relationship with our bodies because of the fall. It reminds us that we're not right. Creation's not right. We're not right. We're not right with our Creator and perhaps cause us to turn back to Him who can fix the brokenness. And we experience this all the time. We see the brokenness in natural disasters. We see our brokenness in physical illnesses and we see our brokenness come out in mental illnesses as well. I think the answer to why mental illnesses and health issues are so prevalent is because our world is broken. We're broken. We humans have turned from our good and loving maker. And so we suffer the consequences. Now, please hear me clearly, right? Please don't make the mistake that Job's friends kind of did. Back if you've read the book of Job, Job went through huge mental anguish. Um, And his friends basically said, you've done wrong, Job. That's why you're in this situation. So simplistic. So unhelpful. Because there's so many factors, right, that, that lead us to the situations we're in. So many factors. Please just avoid drawing sort of simple straight line connections between things. We all experience brokenness. People need love and support, not judgment. So there's that. There are also, there's the, you know, the reality is that you know, our world is broken, our bodies are broken. That's one reason why mental health issues are so prevalent. The one is biological factors. Uh, for some of us, our genes are just the way they are bec- and they sort of give us a greater propensity to have and suffer from mental illness. There are psychological factors, right? Um, so there are some personality types that are just more prone to depressive kind of moods. Um, I'm told, right, that the more sensitive type of personality and the more perfectionistic you are, the more likely you are to kind of suffer from some kind of mental illness. Um, That's just the truth. So psychological factors. Social factors, right? These are huge. So many. Um, Lots of people are just not coping with the rapid change in our world. So much is changing all the time. Um, We're actually, I don't think, really allowing our bodies to relax very much. None of us sort of stop very well. I've decided that the only person who can make me stop in this world is my wife. Um, When she says stop, I listen. But if you try to tell me to stop, I won't. I'll just keep going. Um, But we're we're constantly doing things. We don't stop. We don't calm down. We don't settle. And then technology, right? Technology. I mean, we're a mixed bag here, right? But who spends a fair bit of time on their phone? Yeah, I do. Like, I get that weekly report, you know, from my phone that tells me how long I've been on my phone. I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. I've not been on my phone 23 hours a day, you know. But it's like, who's in the night? But, you know, it's, we are technology, right? Social media. It, there's, a, there's a negative impact, right? It's, it's documented. We're spending so much time. We're imbibing stuff. And there's isolation, right? Isolation. Loneliness. I'm told that I'm told loneliness is like the second greatest killer of men in Australia today because of the consequences of sort of isolation and loneliness. And of course there's 
Causes of mental illness are adverse childhood experiences. Many people are suffering from that. There's a whole host of things that lead to the prevalence of mental health issues in our world. Now, we've done two questions. Um, what is mental health? What are the issues? The second one, why is it so prevalent? Thirdly, what does the Christian faith offer? What does the Christian faith offer? Now, let me tell you a really interesting fact here. Um, it wasn't all that long ago that it was believed that um, religion and spirituality, if you want to have that kind of category, that those things were bad for your mental health, right? But almost nobody believes that anymore. That's sort of been done away with. The research is so strong. Um, here's a quote from Ellison. Uh, she writes, Spirituality enables and motivates us to search for meaning and purpose in life. It is the spirit which synthesizes the total personality and provides some sense of energizing direction and order. The spiritual dimension does not exist in isolation from the psyche and the soma, the mind and the body, but provides an integrative force. It affects and is affected by our physical state, feelings, thoughts and relationships. So that's a mouthful, right, for, you know, Sunday morning. But, you know... There's a, there's a beauty to spirituality that connects all the, the mind and the body together and gives us direction and hope. Um, some of the things that the researchers right, have found, have discovered, um, you know, some of the, the protective features they have discovered for mental health are also the fundamentals of the Christian faith. So they've found that a sense of meaning and purpose in life is protective against mental health issues. Being part of a community, secondly, with strong networks of relationships is really important and protective for mental health. Having a sense of gratitude, thankfulness for the good things in life is protective. And fourthly, helping other people, serving other people is protective and helpful for mental health. All that stuff is really good for you. It's good for your mental health. But let me share three things that the Christian faith offers. Three things. Ho uh, reality, hope, and community. Reality, hope, and community. Um, despite what many people say and think, genuine Christian faith does not romanticize, does not fantasize, or does not fudge the truth, but it tells it like it is. It offers reality. Um, the Bible tells the truth, right, about how difficult and awful experiences in life can be, how hard life can be. It affirms the mental anguish that can result. And the Bible welcomes that those things be communicated to God. Um, I didn't have this in my notes, so I shouldn't do this. I'm listening to my wife right now who says, don't take tangents, don't take tangents, but she's not here, so I am. Um, but here's a, there's a really great book. Um, can I... I love books, right? I, you know, um, again, my wife says stop buying them, but maybe she can't tell me to stop that one. But really great book that I've read. If you're a note taker, take this down. It's called um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by a man named Mark Vogrop um, from the US. Um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Wonderful book on lament, um, embracing the language and practice of lament, bringing our complaints and our anguish and our concerns to God um, with language that is scriptural um, in a way that moves us to confidence and trust in God. Um, so a really great book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, but one of the things that the, the Christian faith offers is reality, right? We, we recognise the awfulness and the brokenness and the hard things in the world and we know that is 
But that's reality. The Bible welcomes those things to be articulated to God. We don't sweep them under the carpet. The Bible doesn't sweep them under the carpet. You know, ask you to kind of just meditate them away and simply, you know, ban the sharing of feelings. Like, it's just speak it. Call it out. Cry out. How long, O Lord? The Scripture affirms and welcomes the need to be honest and real with God. And the Psalms, right, many of the Psalms we have in our Bible, one-third of the Psalms, guess what? They're Psalms of lament, where people pour out their anguish to the living God. Um, Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is one. Open it up with me. Psalm 77, verses 1 to 4. Listen to, listen to this. Psalm 77, verses 1 to 4. the psalm of Asaph, he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You, you hold my eyelids open, I am troubled, and I, that I cannot speak. You know, like, wow, you're allowed to say that to God? Yeah, you are. Psalm 88, right? We had Psalm 88. Braun read it out. I don't know if you were going, oh my gosh, this sermon's going to be terrible today, if that's the text. Psalm 88, brutally honest. You know, a lot of lament psalms, like they start bad, they work through things, and they kind of end positive, right? That's the nature. Start bad, work through things, end positive. Uh Uh-uh. Not with Psalm 88. It starts bad, and it ends worse. That's what happens, right? Let me read you like the last verse of Psalm 88. Did you catch it? You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow. Full stop. End of Psalm. But there's comfort in this, right? There's comfort here because the Christian faith is real. Real about mental health struggles. The darkness is not a surprise to the living God of the Bible. He's there. And he's willing to listen to the darkness. The gospel that we offer to the world, the gospel that we hold out to Modbury and Tea Tree Plaza and the city of Adelaide, wherever he is, the gospel we hold out and the God of the gospel we hold out to people can handle the depth of darkness. He can. So reality, the Christian faith offers reality. Secondly, hope. One of the most horrible things many people struggling with mental illness experience is that, that sense of loss and, and that leads to hopelessness, utter hopelessness. Mental illness has the, the power to eviscerate hope. Like, was it, was it, you know what eviscerate means? Like, just cut it up, shrivel it down, destroy it. It's ghastly. But I want to say there is hope. You know, we live in a great time in history, right, where there are many readily available and highly effective treatment options for people struggling with various mental illness, um, medications, psychiatric concern, heaps of uh, psychiatric help, heaps of options around. And for some people who struggle with mental illness, they'll make a complete and full recovery. For others, ongoing treatment means, though, and the quality of treatment means they're going to live a fairly full, often joyful, productive kind of life. 
If you're here tonight, right, or not tonight, but if you're here this morning and you're, and you're listening to this and you're, you're struggling with mental health, or if you know someone who's struggling with mental health, like your GP is an excellent resource. Make the most of them. But here's what I want to say. The Christian faith brings an even more and deep and lasting and profound hope than that. The power of the gospel, right, is to bring you and I into a story, into a bigger and greater and more wonderful story, a story that affirms our value, that affirms our dignity, that affirms our destiny. We all want to be loved, right? And we all want to be valued. And the Christian faith, the story of the gospel, affirms that you are loved, you are valued, you have dignity. The face of God is always looking your way, forever looking upon you with kindness and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, yeah? That's the story. And the basis of God being like that towards you and me, offering us love and mercy and grace and and dignity and hope, that the basis of God being like that to you and me is not based on your appearance. It's not based on your abilities. It's not based on your personality. It's not based on how good you are at your job. It's not based on good how good you are at sport or how much money you have or even how much potential you have. God loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. And when you know that, it's actually really good for your mental health doesn't take away all the pain and all the anguish and all the struggle, but it's good for you. And the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, assures you a great future. Come into faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Getting connected to his great story means you're embedded in this story, right? A story that has a past. It's got the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in it, the man of sorrows, which is evidence of just how much God loves us, right? The story has a future, a secure destiny. A future, Revelation 21, free of pain and suffering and anguish and mental illness and death. It's all gone. No suicide. How wonderful is that going to be? There are just days, right, where I just like, I just I go, Lord, come back, man. It's going to be glorious. I was here some feels like years ago, probably wasn't, preaching on 1 Thessalonians 4. That wonderful picture. Just as Jesus Christ died and rose again. So those who are in him, when they die, they'll rise again to be with him. Like, you know, we believe the gospel, right? That Jesus died and rose again and he's alive and well, gathering people to himself all around the world. And that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you know what else you trust in? That when you die, you'll rise to be with him and enjoy him forever. To be in that Revelation 21 place where there is no suffering, there is no pain, there is no suicide, there is no mental illness. It is just going to be glorious and wonderful with the Lord Jesus forever. Amen. I mean, bring that, bring it on. I mean, yesterday was glorious. Should have been down Swan Street with a thousand million Richmond fans. It's going to be like that, but like a gazillion times better. Because this is going to go on and on and on. How wonderful. That's the future. But in the meantime, we have the promises of God. They're like a lighthouse beam, right, that cuts through the darkness to strengthen us, to encourage us, to keep us going even in the depths of the darkness. Held up by a story that's much larger and truer than our moods and our miseries. 
And that's a great, great thing. So we have reality. The gospel offers us reality. Bring your anguish to the Lord. He can handle it. We've got hope, real hope. It's secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be taken away. Thirdly, the thing that the Christian faith offers is community. Community. Again, the researchers have found, right, that interacting with people face-to-face is one of the deepest wellsprings of human well-being and happiness. So put away your phones for a little bit today and talk to someone. That's the, that's the reality, yeah? And the reality is that in the gospel, the Christian faith doesn't just embed you in this big story that's somewhere out there, as wonderful as that is. It also embeds you in a group of people in a network of relationships, in a family. You know, Kay, Kay, Kay Warren, who I mentioned at the beginning, whose son took his life, she said, I wouldn't have made it through without the church community. Of course, God is our refuge and strength, but we're called to be a refuge to each other. And that can be so good for our mental health. So can I encourage you like, to just love each other? Is that a good thing to do? Yeah, like love each other, know each other, be there for each other. Because it's good for your mental health. It's what we're called to be as we wait for Jesus to return. Reality, hope, and community. As I finish, let me just share with you it's just two words. Two words. One is a word to the church. One is a word to you individually. To us as a church. Um, here's a comment from a, a great man named Professor Stinson he says in our churches we have a tremendous resource for helping the mentally ill through our church family relationships but we can only do that if we are real with each other it's a good word you know so often I reckon we, we come to church um, and we can dress up emotionally for church can't we I, I do that you know But a church without the broken is a broken church. A church without the broken is a broken church. None of us can do everything. I know that full well. But small things make a huge difference. Listening, hanging out for coffee, sending a meal, inviting someone over. Let me read from a Christian person who did and does experience love and grace from her local church as she wrestles with the darkness of mental illness. She writes... "Um, Speaking about the church, their efforts didn't chase away the darkness. They didn't cure my depression or jolt my mind awake with a burst of hope. They did reflect Christ's love and in so doing, buoyed me through the turbulent seas. They reminded me, even while I was steeped in hopelessness and shame, even when I couldn't believe their words, that Christ lived and died and rose for me. And like a shaft of light glittering through inky waters, that truth, that love penetrates through. I encourage us to, you know, be real with each other. Be real with each other. Build relationships. Be a church that is welcoming of those who struggle with mental health issues. And let's be a real community. I want to encourage you to do that. And a word today to those struggling with mental health issues. If you're here today and you're struggling with mental health issues, here's a word for you. I could say a number of things here, right? I could, I could tell you to keep trusting Jesus. I could, I could tell you to trust God more. I, I could tell you to keep trying. You know, I could tell you, just, just hang on to God in the, in the miry clay. Hang on to God no matter what. But I'm not going to do that. 
I don't want to tell you to hang on to God. But I want to tell you this. God will hang on to you. God will hang on to you. When you are there at, at, at the end of your resources, when you're struggling, I don't know, just to breathe, you don't have to. God will hang on to you. He's your rock. He's your safety. And he won't give up on you. He won't let you go. There's this wonderful end, right? A wonderful image at the end of Psalm 77. He's reflecting on all of his troubles. He's reflecting on, on how all of his problems, and he reflects on how God has acted in the past. And he thinks, oh, yeah, God's a, God's a God who saves people. That's what he does. And then he says this, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Isn't life a bit like that sometimes? You can't see the hand of God. Where is he? But he's there, holding you, loving you. And the psalmist was right when he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is holding on to you. And actually, that's a truth for all of us, right? Whether you are struggling today with a mental health issue or not, God is holding on to you. He's holding on to you. Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are our refuge, you are our strength, you are our deliverer. Now, Father, we, we, we come here today and we recognize when when all human resources fail, you alone remain our sure hope and our defense. Father, we pray this morning that you would uh, give healing and strength and courage to all those we know and love who are wrestling with depression or anxiety and other mental illnesses. But this morning afresh, we, we place all of ourselves into your hands, confident that you are holding us, confident that you are loving us and confident that nothing can separate us from you. And Lord God, we just pray that you'd help us as we are able to, to keep trusting Jesus. But Father, really drive into our minds and into our hearts, into our souls and deep into our bones the truth that you are holding on to us, those whom you've saved through the death and the resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so Father, we commit ourselves to him afresh this morning. And we thank you that you are holding us and you are guiding us every step of the way to the new creation where we will see you and enjoy you forever. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.